Luke 23 and verse 1. And the whole multitude of them arose and led him unto Pilate. The Lord Jesus Christ has been arrested by his enemies. All the members of the Jewish ruling council, known as the Sanhedrin, along with the elders and scribes, now lead the Lord to Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor. For the Jews, as an occupied people, do not have the authority themselves to carry out the death penalty. And that is what the Jewish leaders desire. Members of the temple police force would also have been involved in this procession to Pilate. The Sanhedrin has tried the Lord and found him guilty. And they now desire the Romans to carry out their verdict. And so we are told in verse 2, they began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. It is quite amazing how the nation's magistrates and spiritual leaders can stoop to such falsehoods as these. They are not even prepared to give the Lord a respectful address. We have found this fellow a term of abuse and disrespect. Now, the Lord had in fact formally told a special delegation sent to him by the Pharisees Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. In other words, pay the empire the taxes which they require. So the charge of forbidding to give tribute to Caesar was a blatant lie. Also, during his public ministry, the Lord had shunned any attempts by the people to set him up as an earthly king in opposition to Caesar. Yet he is now accused of representing a threat to Roman power. We read in John chapter 6 and verse 14, Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of a truth that prophet that should come into the world. When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. And so he would have nothing to do with any attempt to establish him as an earthly ruler. As one commentator puts it, the crowd, incited by mob enthusiasm, was ready to proceed with crass political intentions that would have jeopardised the will of God. 
God's will was that the Lord Jesus would establish a heavenly kingdom, not an earthly one. The Sanhedrin themselves were implacably opposed to Roman rule. And so to accuse our Lord of being a threat to Roman authority was utter hypocrisy. Now the way in which the Lord's enemies are now treating him is a vivid example of the true condition of human nature, of the corruption and hostility within the human heart, especially when directly challenged by the truth of God. Our Lord had taught during his ministry in John 3 and verse 20, everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deed should be reproved. And so there is in the heart of fallen man a natural antipathy to the light of Christ, which is nowhere more visibly demonstrated than in the events being recorded in these verses. And let us also note in this verse 2 the words, we found this fellow perverting the nation. How the world frequently calls the public proclamation of God's truth a threat to the stability and well-being of the nation. When, of course, it is the exact opposite. It is good for a nation to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because if people are converted and follow Christ, that will have a purifying influence on society and will lead to social stability. As history has shown. Verse 3, and Pilate asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And he answered it and said, Thou sayest it. Meaning, it is as thou sayest. So this is an answer in the affirmative. The Lord affirms his kingly authority. But it is not the sort of authority which Pilate need fear as being a threat to Roman rule. And Pilate knew that. Pilate knew that the man standing in front of him was not a threat to his authority. In John's account of the interrogation by Pilate, the Lord answers him uh, by saying in John 18 and verse 36, John 18, 36, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. That is, my kingdom has no earthly origin or purpose. Verse 4. 
Then said Pilate to the chief priests and to the people, I find no fault in this man. Pilate realises that he has no grounds at all for condemning this prisoner. He ought really, therefore, to have acquitted him there and then. But he fails to do so for reasons of political expedience. Verse 5, And they were the more fierce, saying, He stirreth up the people teaching throughout all Jewry, beginning from Galilee to this place. Although Pilate has delivered his verdict, the Lord's accusers continue to vehemently assert his alleged crimes. And so... Even when Pilate has declared this man is not guilty, they carry on accusing him. And they particularly assert that he is an agitator of the people. Now, there are some remarkable similarities with the situation in our own day here. Particularly with regard to open-air preaching. Because the the authorities in our nation today are declaring that anyone who teaches the unadulterated truth of Scripture in public is a threat to public order. And it's exactly the same argument that the Lord's enemies we're using here. You are a threat to public order and social stability. Therefore, you must be silenced. It's the same argument which they are using today to stop the preaching of the gospel. Verse 6. When Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked whether the man were a Galilean. And as soon as he knew that he belonged unto Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who himself also was at Jerusalem at that time. So when Pilate discovers that our Lord originates from Galilee, he sees an opportunity to get this problem off his hands because Galilee was outside of his jurisdiction of Judea and Samaria. Now, it was a man called Herod Antipas who oversaw Galilee and also Perea. And Pilate knew that Herod was in Jerusalem at this time because of the Passover. So here was an opportunity for Pontius Pilate to pass this irksome matter of Jesus of Nazareth unto someone else. Seeing that much of the Lord's ministry had been in Galilee, Pilate feels justified in doing this. And how tragic it was that he did not follow through the initial pricks of his own conscience 
about the Lord's innocence. And he allows instead the worldly wisdom of the politician to suppress the working of God's spirit upon his heart. He had already delivered his verdict. So there was no need for him to pass the Lord onto anyone else's jurisdiction. But he does. Verse 8, and when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceeding glad. For he was desirous to see him of a long season. Because he had heard many things of him. And he hoped to have seen some miracle done by him. Herod had been responsible for the execution of John the Baptist. He was also guilty of incest and adultery. Herod had once thought Jesus to be John the Baptist raised from the dead. So strong were his feelings of guilt for having had John beheaded. He knew that John was a just man and he had actually been moved by John the Baptist's preaching. But through the influence of his evil wife and being carried away by lustful indulgence at a birthday party, Herod had proceeded with John's execution. We thus see in Herod another example, a tragic example, of one who allows worldliness to quench the strivings of God's grace upon his heart. And now, hardened in his sin, he is curious and fascinated about meeting the Lord, but not from any desire to find out about God. It was simply worldly excitement at seeing a miracle worker. That was the level of Herod's interest. Verse 9, then he questioned him in many words, but he answered him nothing. So Herod asked the Lord many questions, but the Lord chooses not to reply. Verse 10, and the chief priests and scribes stood and vehemently accused him. So it is the religious leaders who are leading the charge against our Lord. The ones responsible for teaching the people about God, they are the ones most opposed to the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, as we said, the Lord does not answer any of Herod's questions, uh, probably because Herod is not asking any appropriate questions which a judge should ask in a court of law and no doubt also because he knows just how hard-hearted Herod now is. Our Lord had once stated in Matthew 7 and verse 6, give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before the swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and rend you. 
Some men, by their continued resistance to God's truth, no longer deserve the privilege of hearing that truth. Herod is governor of the province where the Lord Jesus had done so much preaching and also many healing miracles. Why did he not take him seriously when he had the opportunity? But Herod's attachment to this world was blinding him to spiritual reality. And now the religious leaders are raging at him as being the worst of criminals. And we read in verse 11, And Herod with his men of war set him at naught and mocked him and arrayed him in a gorgeous robe and sent him again to Pilate. So Herod himself now shamefully joins in the general mockery of our Lord. Now this would have put him in good standing with his godless soldiers and members of his court. One of the reasons he had proceeded with John's execution was that he did not want to lose face with the friends who were with him at his birthday banquet. And so he proceeded with an innocent man's execution because he did not want to lose face with his friends. That is the sort of man Herod was. In front of his friends, he had made a foolish promise to his stepdaughter to give her whatever she desired because he had been consumed with lust towards her. And the influence of the men of this world round about him prevented him from humbling himself before God. For he feared more what they thought of him than what God thought of him. And this was someone who had once been seriously challenged by the gospel. Oh, what folly to let the world and its wisdom keep one from salvation and eternal life. The genuine seeker and indeed the true believer must never allow themselves to be influenced and cowed by the world's disapproval and mockery. And yet, sadly, so many churches are worried about exactly that, being disapproved of by the world. Or as an Archbishop of Canterbury once said in the 1990s, we must ordain women because if we do not, the world will never forgive us. That's what he said. So we ignore scripture because we want the approval of the world. 
Now we read in verse 12 here. And the same day Pilate and Herod were made friends together. For before they were at enmity between themselves. And so interestingly here we have two men of the world who did not like each other. But they come together in their opposition to Jesus Christ. They were tragically both far off from God, being well and truly wedded to the philosophies of this world. Likewise, the chief priests, scribes and elders, the whole Jewish establishment, they too had their outlooks fashioned by their society and by their man-made religious notions, not by the word of God. And when brought into contact with the very Son of God, they did not receive him as the supreme embodiment of all that they had believed thus far, but they rather hated all that he stood for. And they ended up plotting to kill him. Their religion was nothing but a conformity to the political correctness of their day. Devoid as it was of any true love for God and his commandments. How at all costs we today as Christians need to keep out of the church all vestiges of man-pleasing secular philosophy. Yet tragically, this is exactly what has been done. As the churches have embraced the teachings of cultural Marxism, evolution, feminism, the gay rights movement, climate change hysteria and critical race theory. They have all been promoted by the churches instead of the truths of scripture. God's people today need to realise that contemporary received wisdom and biblical Christianity are totally incompatible. Paul says this to the Colossians. <clears throat> In Colossians <clears throat> 2 and verse 8, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. And so it is absolutely vital that we maintain a complete separation from the fashionable, man-made thinking of the moment. So the Bible-believing Christian must not believe as true something which he hears on the news through the media simply because they have delivered it. We have to be more discerning than that. 2 Corinthians 6 verse 14 
Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? Verse 17 of that chapter. Wherefore come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Most false teaching in the churches can be traced to a desire to be like the world. There is a tendency in fallen man to be sheep-like and to follow the crowd. And of course, there's nothing like social media to encourage this sheep-like behaviour, where there is always a temptation to signal your virtue to those around you. I'm a good person because I'm concerned about climate change. And see, it is so easy for someone to make themselves look virtuous by conforming to this world's wisdom. And where the church itself stoops to following this man-made wisdom, someone can even convince himself that he is being Christian when he is actually doing nothing more than conforming to the spirit of a God-rejecting age. So what do the arrest and trial of our Lord teach us? It is that the men of this world included that their respected and sophisticated leaders hate the true gospel. They hate it. They might pay lip service to Christian things, but they hate the true gospel. The worldly wise non-believer and frequently those in authority and places of influence find the Christian gospel to be utterly foolish. They would rather talk about one world togetherness. They would rather compliment other religions. The last thing which the churches must ever do is to compromise the gospel to please those who hate the gospel. One Corinthians two verse seven. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Who was it who put the Lord to his death? The sophisticated, well-educated Opinion formers and leaders of society of the day. They are the ones who put the Lord to his death. Now mere human reason and wisdom 
can never fathom the depths of the mind of God. Mere human reason and wisdom can never understand the true gospel, which is a mystery to fallen men until God by his spirit illuminates their understandings. So it was the leaders and wise men of society who put the Lord Jesus Christ on trial and who led him to his death. It was the sort of people who would receive honours and prizes from the world who put him to death. It was the sort of people who would be admired in society as being virtuous who put Jesus Christ to death. To be a Christian, one has to shun the world and its fashions and its wisdom. To be a true Christian, one has to have an utterly different outlook from today's opinion formers and leaders of society. To follow Jesus Christ means being regarded as strange and eccentric by most of the nice, respectable people around us. Some of whom may also be churchgoers. And so how sceptical we must be of much of what is fed to us in the media. They are not beyond telling blatant untruths, as we see here in the trial of the Lord. There is throughout our society an intrinsic hostility to biblical truth. I'll just give you one example. We are constantly told that homosexual people are born that way and cannot help it. That is both unscientific and contrary to what the Bible says. But all the well-educated people believe it. The scientists tell us that this world came into being from a big bang 4.6 billion years ago. Are they right? The gospel is a call to have the courage to be different from this world and to lay aside its so-called wisdom. Now in this account of Herod and Pilate dealing with our Lord, we see two men who get very near to perceiving Christ's truth. They are impressed by what he says. But they tragically allow the wisdom of this world to quench the Spirit's work upon their hearts. They simply do not have the courage to leave the world and its fashionable ways of thinking. They allow political expedience and pride of heart to get in the way of receiving 
the Lord Jesus Christ for who he really is. It's a tragedy that they got so near and yet were lost. So, who was it who took the Lord to his death? The sophisticated, worldly wise men of the day. This reminds us of 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 26. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 26. For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. Generally speaking, the great and important and influential people in society will not be Christians. The word of God tells us that. The great admired opinion formers and leaders of this world rarely humble themselves before Jesus Christ. It's a tragedy, but it is true. And it is teaching us that we must shun with absolute urgency the wisdom of this world. Because this world's wisdom is keeping most people out of heaven. Amen.